Hey there. It's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. So the, I really like this series that we're doing because this question is going to affect, how you answer this question affects everything about your life. I can't overstate it. Your happiness, your sense of fulfillment, how you see God, how you see other people in this room, it will all be connected to the question, who am I? And so this morning, I want you to ask another question of yourself, which is this, when was the last time that you compared yourself to someone else? Kind of think about it for a moment. When was the last time you compared yourself to someone else? Was it this morning? Was it last night? Last week? Last month? If you've made it more than a month, congrats. You're a better person than I am. I think a lot of us have done it like six times this morning. Like I see people like going to the name tag table, like writing down their name and they're like, oh man, that person has better handwriting than I do. <laughs> I see people in the coffee line, they're like, oh man, they put creamer, like just the right amount of creamer and moon milk. Like they really know how to make coffee. I don't even know what I'm doing. I see people in the kids check-in line, they're like, those kids are well-behaved. My kids are spider monkeys, like dancing all around here. What's going on here? I see people in worship where it's like, oh man, that couple is like a power worship couple. They do like the full touchdown V worship. It's just like really epic. And it, like, I'm kind of like one hand or they're like, Jesus. And it's just like, we compare ourselves to all these different things all the time. We're constantly looking at who am I compared to someone else. And it's not just a church. It's not just at school, it's not just a party. We kind of live in a world now where we can't get away from comparisons. When we feel like, okay, I can't handle this, I can't be around all these comparisons, we take our, out our phones to make ourselves feel better. And then we take out our phone, and what the phone does is it just makes ourselves feel worse. We go into Instagram and we're like, oh man, that family's going to Hawaii. I'm stuck at home. We take out Facebook and we're like, oh wow, she's eating a salad for lunch. I'm eating Chick-fil-A. We go on Twitter and we say, ah, why didn't my tweet get retweeted? It was so inspiring and I got zero retweets. What's going on here? We go on Snapchat and I don't know what happens on Snapchat because I'm not 12. <laughs> but these phones, these things, they make us compare ourselves all the time. They're, they're massive comparison machines that we have in our hand. We're comparing ourselves more than any time in human history. And so today I'm gonna to ask you to stop doing something. You're gonna nod your head and say, yeah, he's right. This is a good thing. I'm gonna say, I want you to stop comparing yourself to others. And you're gonna to want to, but it's still gonna happen. Because for, it to for you to really stop comparing yourself to others, you have to understand this, why comparisons are so damaging and how to stop doing it. So we need to start with the why, and then we'll get to the how. The first why, the fundamental why of stop comparing yourself to other people is that comparisons get you in trouble. I think uh, there's this great story of Ross uh, taking Taylor on a roller coaster ride and Taylor was really nervous and then Ross takes him on his roller coaster ride and Taylor was like so excited and was like, wow, dad, you helped me like 
push through fears. And that was so amazing. Like that's really like, and I, I like heard that story and I was like, that's what a good dad does. A good dad kind of makes his kids do stuff to like overcome fears and force their way through things. And that's an awesome parent. I want to be an awesome parent like Ross is. And so uh, a couple of summers ago, we were at a water park and this like kind of little bitty water park and my daughter was there and we were like gonna go uh, down some water slides and we're climbing all the way up and there's kind of the open one and the closed one. And so I was like, hey honey, you should go down the tube water slide, it's a lot faster. And she's like, dad, I don't want to. Something bad's gonna happen. And I was like, honey, look at all those people going down the water slide. They go down it, they land in the water, the water's soft, it's perfectly fine, it's totally safe. Honey, nothing bad. It's going to happen. I'm your dad. I know how the world works. <laughs> and so she looked at me and she's like, all right, I trust you, dad. And I was like, all right, that's going to be fine. And so she goes, I'm right behind her. She kind of looks at me. She's getting in the water slide. She looks back one more time like, <sighs> and then she goes in and she goes in the water slide and we're all standing there kind of watching her go down. I'm like, this is great. This is such a dad moment. And then we're watching her, watching her. 15 seconds go by, 30 seconds go by, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. My daughter's not there. <laughs> I was like, I was like well, you can see the bottom. And I was like, uh, so I look at the lifeguard. It's like a 15-year-old on Snapchat, kind of like just barely paying attention. I look at the lifeguard. And I was like, hey, uh, wh where's my daughter? She just went down the water slide. And she's like, yeah, sometimes they get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? She's like, yeah, it happens sometimes. I was like, what do you do when they get stuck? She's like, ah, someone's got to like knock them out. And so I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? Where's like the government? Like, how is this safe? How is this allowed? And so I was like, well, what do I do? She's like, oh, just kind of go down there and knock, knock her out. So I was like, okay. So I like took my tube. I jumped on the water slide and I'm like, going down the water slide and I'm like, I'm coming, Juliana. Your brave dad is coming to the rescue. But it's this enclosed water slide and the noise is bouncing all around. So I sounded like a monster. I was like, <laughs> And as I'm getting closer and closer, I just hear like blood curdling screams like, and I'm like, and so I finally go in full force with my full dadness. I like smack into her inner tube and she starts going. But when I smacked into her inner tube, it kind of knocked her offside. And so she hits the water like this and her inner tube kind of pancake like boom, slaps her down right like that. And then I fly out of my inner tube and I land directly on top of her. <laughs> She gets out of the water, I get out of the water. It's like a head-on collision. Like, she gets out, her face, her nose is covered in blood. Like, she's all that sort of stuff. She looks at me in the eye, bloody face, just confident, and she's like, I am never listening to you again. <laughs> and so we compare ourselves, right? We do this all the time. We hear someone do a story of like, how things went in their life and we're like, oh, I'm gonna do that exact same thing and I'm gonna get those exact same results. But the reality is kind of your motivation being like, oh, they did this and it worked for them, so I'm gonna do the exact same thing, that gets you into trouble. Gets worse. Comparisons can lead to bad decisions. We get into debt because we see other people see, have something and we think, I deserve that same thing. We cheat on our spouses because we think, oh, other people so be, are so happy, I wanna be happy 
like they are. We harm our bodies because we hate what we see looking back at us in the mirror. This idea of comparison, it actually starts really early in life. Think about a timeline of a person's life. I have a four-year-old. Little four-year-old girl, she goes to preschool, that sort of stuff. And then she's really excited. She just thinks, oh, this is a wonderful world and everyone loves each other and everyone cares about each other. And so then she finds out that one kid's having a birthday party and she wasn't invited. And it kind of hits her, hits her little four-year-old heart. I have some kids in elementary school and I remember elementary school vividly. And remember that first time that you're out in recess and everyone's picking teams and you watch one person go and another person go and another person go. And then you're standing there very last and you're like, I'm the most worthless person on this playground. That's a message that gets sent to our kids. In high school, we go and we're like, okay, the most important thing, go to college, go to college, go to college. Kids hear it all the time. I got to work hard. I got to work hard. Star test. So much is going on. Get those good SATs. Get those good ACTs. And we go to college. And then all of a sudden, our kids in our high schools, this is happening right now. Kids are opening up acceptance letters and saying, I got in. I got into three colleges and I have two safeties. And another kid saying, I haven't heard back from any of the colleges. And the ones I have heard back from say, sorry, you don't fit here. We get compared all the time. As an adult, your best friend gets another raise. And there's a promotion that you've been waiting for and walking towards. We listen to other people's cell phone rings and we're like, why? <laughs> why don't I have a cool harmonica ring on my cell phone? <laughs> Mine just kind of bleeps at me. <laughs> We compare ourselves all the time as an adult. We're kind of working towards that promotion and we heard another person, oh, I got another raise, I got another raise. And we're like, I still, it's been three years and I still haven't got that promotion. Or when our kids are grown, we get a call and it says, hey mom, hey dad, uh, we're going to the other family for Christmas. We're going to the in-laws this Christmas. We picked them over you. We get compared all the time. It happens throughout our whole life. No one in this room has outgrown it. It never goes away. We get compared all the time and we compare ourselves to other people. So I want you to do something this morning. I want you to be really honest with yourself and I want you to write something down. And you can actually flip over your notes and write it on the backside and then flip it back over. And if you're brave enough, write this down. What is the most damaging comparison in your life right now? What's the first thing that comes to mind? the most damaging comparison in your life right now. You can kind of hide it. This is just between you and God. Write it down on the backside. Just know it's there and then flip it back over. Take a moment and do it. See, here's the big idea. Comparison is like a defibrillator for insecurity and pride. It charges them up and it brings them back to life. So what we're going to talk about this morning, kind of with that idea, with what you've written down, is I want to help you with three things that will help you kill comparison. Comparison is something that you can't passively kind of let go. Comparison is something that you have to fight against. And so the first one, number one, everyone say number one. Number one, one stop listening to others' comparisons of you. Stop it. Sometimes it's not you who's comparing yourself. A lot of times it is like, oh, I'm comparing myself to others, but it's so much worse when other people are comparing you to other people. We wonder why celebrities in this world seem so insane, but what would it be like for you if every meal, every conversation, every interview, every TV appearance, every time you step out in public, you're being compared to something? Those comparisons can drive you crazy. 
Scripture tells a pretty fascinating story through uh, 1 Samuel of Saul, who was anointed king. He was the first king of the country. He was, there was uh, all sorts of leaders of Israel, but he was the first king. He was like the George Washington of Israel. He was so powerful and important, the most powerful man there. And uh, when he was young, or when he was younger, he met a kid named David who he like believed in. He gave him his armor and he said, hey, you go fight Goliath. And David said, you know what? I'm going to do this my own way. I'm not going to take your armor. I'm just going to take a slingshot and I'm going to uh, beat Goliath. And Saul was so proud of him. And David went out there and did this amazing thing for the kingdom. But instead of Saul like cheering and celebrating David on that day, he started to feel insecure. Who's this young kid? Who's this next generation? It gets worse and worse for David. And so, and, uh, 1 Samuel 8, 18 says this, kind of tells the story. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out of all the towns in Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and uh, timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul hated this song. Verse eight says, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. See, this comparison actually started to get into Saul's heart. It actually started to eat at him. This young kid who was so bright, who had the hand of God in his life, who could do incredible things in the kingdom, Saul wasn't cheering this kid on. Saul was comparing himself to David. Everything from that day over, his life would be ruined because of this comparison. And verse 10 goes on to say, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he had departed from Saul. So this is a clear moment where Saul, I mean, this is a, David would kind of come, like imagine this, like David's come kind of playing the harp, like, okay, here's the calming music. We're just having a nice day in the courtyard. Saul's just watching him, picks up the spear, throws it not once, but how many times? Twice, two spears. Boom, against the wall right there and there. David ducks and runs out of the place. And Saul, so angry that was like, I'm going to kill this young man right here and there. That's how much comparison had grabbed hold of his heart. People, this is Game of Thrones level stuff that was going on in this story. <laughs> really powerful. Like this is the original like kind of powerful story of like what's happening in the kingdoms. But I think it's important to know that Saul wasn't originally comparing himself to David until he listened to other people's words. So it didn't happen at first where Saul, Saul wasn't even thinking about it. He championed David, that sort of thing, and he came home, they were all victorious, and it was that song that people sang that all of a sudden started to change his reality. What's that song that you've heard other people sing that started to change your reality? Have you ever been compared to someone? Did it define you? It's happened to me. Early on, uh, when Sarah and I first uh, uh, were kind of flirting a little bit, getting to know each other, serves my wife. Uh, she had just been uh, hanging out with and going on a few dates with this guy named Mike. And uh, he was the quarterback of the Air Force Fighting Falcons. <laughs> Six four, blonde hair, super athletic. And she liked him until this Adonis that you see before you walked into her life. 
I know what you're thinking. How did they get Chris Hemsworth to come and speak at one chapel this morning? <laughs> and so I was there and uh, we, we started dating in that time. And I remember like, and I knew her parents really well and they loved me and they're like, you know, like Rob's great, but Mike, he's quarterback of the Air Force Falcons. He's gonna be a fighter pilot. He'll probably be president one day. Rob, what have you really done with your life? I was like, I once built the Millennium Falcon out of Legos, like by myself. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't win. I can't win against this comparison. If I compared myself with him, I would lose. There was no way. And when I would listen to those comparisons, and it's happened a lot in my life, when I listen to those songs of comparisons of who I am to other people, that's where bitterness and pride and jealousy and rage, that's when all those things start to creep into my heart. What about you? Have you been compared to someone? Did it define you? Have you been compared to a sibling? Have you been compared to someone's ex? Have you been compared to a coworker? Listen, you can't stop it. You can't stop other people from comparing you. If you try to stop it, it's gonna drive you crazy. I mean, it happens to us all the time. It happened to me about 10 minutes ago. I walked up here and I looked at your face and I saw this collective like, where's Ross? <laughs> I saw uh, your faces betray you, like I saw it on you. <laughs> and I stood here and I'm like, ah, I'm speaking today, but I'm not Pastor Ross. He's a man of God, he's a dear friend, he's an incredible pastor. He has a voice so good, he could still be in any boy band in America. <laughs> if I think about comparisons to Ross, I will be crushed. But if instead I say, I'm a man of God, Amen. and I have a unique word for you, a perspective that only I can give. So with fear and trembling this morning, I'm gonna share with you a message to break fear and comparisons of your life. I'm gonna share the words of scripture. And no, I don't have a voice like an angel, but I am the best pastor in America at using Star Wars references to make the scripture come alive. <laughs> if I do that, I can hold my head up high. I don't have to be Ross. I don't have to be Chris Hodges. I don't have to be Craig Groeschel. I don't have to be any of these pastors. I just have to be Rob Stennett, who God created me, fearfully and wonderfully made, who knows who I am, who can say, this is the truth, One Chapel, that I'm sharing with you this morning. Yeah. So, stop, stop listening to songs. Stop listening to the songs of what other people hear say about you. Stop listening to those whispers that go real quiet when you walk into a room. Stop looking at those posts online that say, ah, who am I compared to this person? Stop it. Stop being defined by those Thanksgiving conversations. Instead, listen to what God has to say about you. Thing number two, everyone say number two. <laughs> number two, stop allowing fear to make you territorial. Stop allowing fear to make you territorial. I actually want to read 1 Corinthians uh, 2, uh, 10, and I'm going to read a little bit of this, John, out of the NIV first, and then we'll do ESV. Uh, and so 2 Corinthians 10 says this, you are judging by appearances. Anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are waiting forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. This is so great as a writer, I get that. Uh, 
Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we'll be in our actions when we are present. This is the big idea, verse 12. We dare not classify or compare ourselves with someone who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves, compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So it says, measure yourself against yourself. Don't measure yourself against others. You are not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 in the ESV says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So it says you're not wise. You don't have understanding. If you're looking out the room and you're defining yourself, you're answering, who am I? Well, I only know who I am compared to the other people in this room, compared to the other people at work, compared to the other people at life. If that's how you answer the question, you are without understanding of who you really are. I see it all the time. My aunt would make the most amazing gravy. And then one time, uh, so we would there, be there, we'd have Thanksgiving dinner. And then one time, a person who my cousin was dating brought ga- gravy to Thanksgiving dinner. And she was like, oh no, she didn't. <laughs> she did not bring gravy here. Gravy is my corner. I make the gravy here. That is how it is. And I think we all kind of have these things. What is your corner? What is the one thing that you say, okay, in my friend group, and my family, with my coworkers, I'm the best at this. Be all kinds of things. I'm the best at give giving. I'm the best at serving. I'm the best at uh, taking care of other people. I'm the best, uh, I'm the funniest. I'm the, I'm the most outgoing. Whatever those things are, when, whenever you say, I'm the best at this, you are in trouble. Because if you're defined by something like that, that's territorial. It's pride. Galatians 6.4 says this, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Teddy Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. Because if you're defined by something that makes you territorial, what it really is is pride. It's, uh, pride is this big idea. And who's read Mere Christianity before? C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. If you have not read it, pick it up today, get a copy. Uh, it is absolutely incredible. And one of the big ideas that he talks about in this book is pride. He t- chapter eight, he calls it the great sin. And what he says here is, the vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. He also says later in the chapter, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on one thing and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride says this, pride says the only way for you to be great, for me to be great, is for you to be less. He calls it, C.S. Lewis calls it the great sin because it gets satisfied in looking down at other people and seeing other people struggle and seeing other people suffer through things. It's like, oh, they didn't do as good on the test as I did? Well, I'm better than them. Oh, they didn't get as good of a raise as I did? Well, I'm better than them. Whatever those things that are measured, if you're measuring yourself and defining yourself by those things, that's pride taking a hold of you and it is an anti-God state of mind. That sort of comparison. I'm different than you. I'm better than you. When those whispers happen in the back of your head, it really gets a hold in your life. So what should you do then? You should do number three. Everyone say number three. three. You should stop devaluing others and celebrate them. 
Stop devaluing others and celebrate them. The Germans have a word for this. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna totally botch it. It's called Schadenfreude. And it's pleasure derived from the misery of others. The word literally means harm joy. I was in a writer's group early on and uh, I remember a teacher asking a profound question and I was kind of in LA, I was being a screenwriter, I had all these dreams of like, okay, this is what my life is gonna be, this is what things are gonna look like. And I got involved with this group called Act One, it was a, a Christian screenwriting community and I remember like having a mentor and we sat down in a group and he said, okay, I'm gonna ask you a question, I want you to really think about it. And it was a group of like five or six of us. And he said, what are you gonna do if someone gets the movie deal before you do? What are you gonna do if someone in this group gets the Oscar before you do? What are you gonna do if someone in this group is so much more successful than you are? How will you think about it? Will you be jealous or will you be proud of them and celebrate it? And so whenever I see pride, whenever I see comparison sinking into me, what I do is I stop looking at myself and I start thinking about others. Whenever I see jealousy and comparison taking a hold of my heart, I actually lift the name of others. Whenever I think like, oh, I can't do something, I actually think like, oh, I can't be friendly, nearly as friendly as Kim Swafford. Have you met Kim Swafford before? She is like, it's like someone took sunshine and turned it into a human being and that human being's name is Kim Swafford. She is the most friendly person ever. And I'm not like, oh man, I can't be as friendly as her. I'm like, no, you need to meet Kim Swafford. She is incredible. John Bowman is back there running ProPresenter right now. This guy is one of the most incredible servants I've ever met. He helps one chapel in so many profound ways that you may not know and you may not see. But I'm telling you, I don't think like, oh, I can't serve like him. I'm like, no, you need to know about what a man of God John Bowman is and how hard he works to serve this church. I think of myself and I have like a kind of nasally Kermit the Frog laugh and Tabitha Stone has the best laugh you have ever heard in your life. And when you hear her laugh, it's just like, I want that laugh. That is an incredible laugh. And so I think, I don't think to myself, oh, I wish I'd had that. I'm like, oh, okay, I want to be around Tabitha and try to tell a joke because her laugh is like angels from heaven. It is so incredible. And so think about those things. Stop thinking like, oh, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Stop thinking about, hey, who around me is incredible. Who around me, who around me can I build up? Who around me can I encourage? Who around me can I stop saying like, I did this, I'm incredible, I'm amazing. Versus like, hey, you wanna know who's incredible? This person right here, let me tell you about them. Let me tell you about everything that they did. When you start living your life that way, when you start talking about other people that way, I'm telling you, it breaks comparison off your life and it has no control over you. Instead, you start looking at others. And instead of being jealous, you get proud and you get proud of so many things and you don't think like, well, I never did this. I never accomplished this. I'm always a failure at this. You're gonna say, hey, look at that person. Look at the way Wesley leads worship. I get to sing with him every Sunday. I'm so excited to come to church because that guy loves Jesus and I wanna love Jesus alongside of him. We get to do those things. And so think about it with the people at church here. Think about it with the people that you serve on the team with. Think about it with the people at work when you feel like, okay, the new person's coming in and I feel threatened about them. Instead of feeling threatened, that sort of stuff, lift their name up. Lift their name up and say, hey, that is so great. You're so incredible. And so the thing is, we have to realize this morning, comparison is like a grease fire. Comparison is like a grease fire. It doesn't go away easy. Do you guys know what a grease fire is? A grease fire, how do you put out a grease fire? Let me tell you a story. 
I was uh, two years old, and my dad, like, this will explain a lot about me. My dad, uh, he was there, and they had got their first apartment, that sort of stuff, and they were, like, cooking bacon, because one thing about the Stennets is we love bacon so much. And so they were cooking bacon, and it was, like, the 70s, I don't know, I was like two years old, and so th they were there, and the bacon went, and all of a sudden, like, this burner went, and a piece of bacon grease jumped on, and the whole pan caught on fire. And my dad was in his first apartment, that sort of stuff, and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna be a firefighter at this moment. I'm gonna be a hero. I'm gonna do the right thing. And so he went and got a huge, like, bucket of water and took it on the grease fire and threw the bucket of water. And then some of you who are scientists know what happened. Others of you were like, he did the right thing. No, he did the wrong thing. He took that bucket of water and threw it. And then all of a sudden, the whole wall was on fire. <laughs> and he's like, what's happening? I, I mean, he's taking water, throwing out it. More fire, more fire. And he's like, man, science has failed me. Water puts out fire. What is wrong here? And all of a sudden, the apartment was on fire, and the firefighters had to come and uh, put it all the way out. It was very, very dangerous. Not two years old, like, ooh, fire. And that's why I love fire so much to this day. <laughs> I've said a lot of things on fire in my life. Uh, i got to repent for that. <laughs> I'm scared for my four kids what they're going to do. <laughs> But he did this, and this is something, this is a picture of what we do in our life. We, we see comparison, that sort of thing, and we're like, okay, I'm just gonna make myself better. Okay, I'm gonna do better. Okay, I'm gonna be stronger. Okay, I'm gonna get this app that's gonna measure this. Okay, I'm gonna read this self-help book. Okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna be better. And instead, comparison, boom, wait, 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 wait on our life, and all of a sudden, it sets everything we touch on fire. And we're like, I keep trying. I keep trying. What is wrong? We're, we're trying to put it out with water because that's what the world's telling us to do. Better yourself, better yourself, get stronger, get better, be more awesome. Best-selling book right now is called You Are a Bad A. That's what it's called. It's a, it actually says the full term. I won't say it because we're in church, but it says that. And it's like you walk into Barnes & Noble, you go into Amazon, it's the very first book. It's like you can be awesome, you can be amazing. And it's okay to kind of be self-improvement, but when that defines you, like I am going to be so much better at other things, I'm going to do more amazing, I, me, 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 you think it's going to make you more happier, but it's that grease fire that you're throwing on things and it spreads everywhere. It will lead to misery. Grease fire doesn't go away easy. You actually have to, do, you have to put it out with baking soda, dry chemicals. You have to do, we think like wet, wet puts out fire. It's like, no, the dry, simple thing is what puts out the fire in this case. And so it starts, like I said, singing the praises of the other, but it ends with singing the praises to God. Because whenever we sing the praises to God, we can know this. There's nothing we can do ever, ever, ever. Some of you in this room have accomplished amazing things. Some of you in this room, I'm so impressed by your careers, by the car that you drive, by the amazing house that you have. I'm impressed by it. God isn't. He's just not. You say, I've got a six-figure job. God says, I created all possessions on the earth. You say, I hiked a 14,000-foot mountain. God says, I made that mountain. <laughs> you say, I'm a mess. I feel distant and lonely and hurt. God says, you are my child. I love you as if you were the most powerful CEO on earth. You can be made whole again. I promise. Last week, we had baptisms right out there. We had baptisms. We had, what was the, what was the final number? 53 be, people be baptized right out there. 53 people. 
And for me, like this was the incredible sight because I was like, I heard stories, I heard some of the stories. I got to talk with different people and there were so many other stories that I hadn't known. But when I heard those stories of like, ah, this is who I thought I was and I found Jesus and learned this is who I am. When that change happened in people's lives and you see them merge and I'm right there with the camera and I, you can see their face and literally they're going in nervous. Uh, it's funny to watch baptisms. People are there and they're kind of like, okay, put your hand on your nose, hold here. And so they do that and they're, everyone's thinking the same thing. How long are they going to hold me down there? <laughs> they're thinking the same thing and so they're kind of afraid in that moment, but they come out and it's just a split second. And when it comes out, I can tangibly feel the, the weight lifted off and they're like coming out and it's new and it's incredible. I'm looking at some of you right now this morning who are baptized and you're like, yeah, Rob, that's true. That was me. I came, I came in as one person, but I came out as another person, and that's who God says that you are. Who am I? You are made new in Jesus. So this is a, this is a you know, pretty decent sermon. I don't know how you'd compare it to the others. <laughs> that's up to you. <laughs> but I'll tell you, no matter like how good or how okay or whatever else the job I did, you're going to do this. You're going to compare yourself again. It's not going away. You're going to struggle with this again. You're going to nod and say, yeah, I got to stop this. Then it's going to happen again later today, later this week, later this month. And so how do we fight this? Well, the big idea, we want things to be fixed once and for all. And even the baptism experience, like I've seen happen as a pastor where some people get baptized and like, okay, everything's okay now. But that's not the gospel that Jesus teaches. He talks about a few big ideas. He talks about pick up your cross. How often? How often should we pick up our cross? Daily. Daily we should pick up our cross. Bread. How often does he provide bread? Daily. Give me this day, this daily bread. And so this is something, this is an idea, this is a message that we have to return to every single day. The message of like, okay, I'm not going to compare myself to others. I'm going to look at who God created me to be. And sometimes it's even more often than every single day. Um, when I was, I was in high school and uh, I was a pastor's kid, and uh, as you can probably tell about me, I got into, I got into some trouble. Uh, and I, I ended up uh, going to New Life Church when I was kind of in a turbulent point in my life. And there was a young youth pastor there named Chris Hodges. And he was at the church and I remember talking with him one time and he's like, Rob, you know, what's going on with you? And he's like, he, I was like, I don't know. I make so many bad decisions. I have so many things that I struggle with. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna ask you a question. Can you go a month without sinning? I'm like, no way. <laughs> no way I can go a month without sinning. He's like, okay. Rob, can you go a week without sinning? I was like, no, I, I'm human. I can't go a week without sinning. Sin's too fun. Like, that's not happening. He's like, okay, Rob. Can you go a day without sinning? I was like, ah, I don't know. All right, Rob. Can you go an hour without sinning? Well, maybe I don't. Okay, Rob, can you go a minute without sinning? Probably, okay, Rob, can you go one second without sinning? Yes, Chris, I can go one second without sinning. He says, okay then, live life by the second. It's like, that's what I want you to do. And so for some of you, it's like, ah, can I go my whole life without comparison, comparing myself? Can I go a whole week? Can I go a whole day? Can I go a whole minute? I don't know. Take this one second at a time. Live life by the second. When you feel these things start creeping in, say, okay, I'm going to let them go and I'm going to let Jesus have control. I want to invite the band to uh, come on up here. And uh, I want to ask you this. What was that thing that you wrote down at the beginning? What was that damaging comparison that kind of had your heart a little bit? 
This morning, can I ask you something? Will you kind of give it over to God? Will you say, okay, God, I don't know if I can even let this go, but I may need you to do a miracle in my heart. So this, this big idea is that sort of thing of like, all right, I don't want to have to have this narrative keep being about my life. I need something to change. I need this thing to let me go because it continues to hurt me and this comparison probably continues to hurt other people. But sometimes it's something really big. Sometimes it may be something that's happening right now. It may be something that happened a long time ago. But when you look in the mirror, that comparison is what you see looking back at you. And I can't fix it. You can't fix it yourself. The only way to kind of fix these heavy, weighty things is to say, okay, God, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I can't say the wrong, right things. I need for you to do a miracle in my heart. So this morning, we're going to take communion together. And as we do, I want you, I'm going to invite you to come to the table. I'll pray in just a few moments. You can kind of stand up, come to the table here. But as you do that, as you take the bread, dip it into the cup. I want to invite you to go back to your seat and don't just take it right away. Kind of hold your hand there, go back in your seat and pray for God to heal that comparison in your life. Say, God, take it away from me this morning. You can pray by yourself. You can pray with your neighbor, but really take a moment. Don't just kind of go through the motions. Really take a moment and say, okay, God, I give this comparison up to you. I don't want to be held by it anymore. I don't want to be owned by it anymore. And so that's what we're going to do in just a moment here. I'm going to pray and then we'll take communion together. So if you would, pray with me. Lord Jesus, we pray to you this morning. We say that at the table, you ask us to remember you. You ask us to remember who you are and what you did for us, the sacrifice that you made for us, and how our lives are not compared by anything that we say, anything that we do, anything that we acquire. Our lives are compared by what you did and who you made us to be. So we pray that this morning, that those things that have a hold in our heart, those corners that we think are ours, those places that make us territorial, those whispers that we hear other people saying about us, I pray that we'd hand those things over to you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. In your name, amen. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Have a great week.